Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 21. Out of the Message Bible. Romans 8, 19 through 21. Out of the, no, not the Message, excuse me. The Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. But we're still in the same series of understanding the church in the New Kingdom Age. I didn't get to finish my teaching last week, so I pick up on that again and then bring some new stuff in. But it says this. I, I just, again, and I just love this scripture. It says, The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. That's who you are. God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for the freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. Amen? That's real powerful. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Just waiting for us to get it (laughs) and to understand who we are. That's why last week and the week before I talked about how St. Francis of Assisi was able to talk to the animals in all creation and how that even in the Scriptures we find in Numbers 22 how a talking donkey was able to convince Balaam he was off off base. So when you're not going in the right direction, maybe God will send to you a talking dog or cat. And you can you can find that other scripture in Job twelve, seven and eight that says Job twelve, seven and eight says, Ask the animals what they think. Let them teach you. Let the birds tell you what's going on. Put your ear to the earth and learn the basics. Listen to the fish in the ocean. They will tell you their stories. And so, you know, we go on and on and on with that kind of thinking. But the Spirit of God is releasing His emerging ecclesia. That's who we are, the body of Christ, the ecclesia, to shift into the new day to be the first responders to His voice. We're really His first responders to His voice. And we are clearly living in one of the greatest seasons in history as God is releasing an extraordinary shift in the earth. This week I listened to my friend Johnny Enlow. His his teaching on Elijah List was, I mean, out of this world for me. I mean, I I was ready to blast off and uh, go into a whole new dimension. But if you ever get to, if you can get to Elijah List, if you know how to get there on your internet, Go listen to his, the teaching that Johnny Enlow put out this week. It's, it's excellent. It's above excellence of what's going to be coming. So let's get ourselves ready for this awe-inspiring move of God's glory because there's an urgency in this time to be fully prepare ourselves as the bride of Christ and to fulfill our God-given mandate as mature believers in Christ ready for the great harvest. How many know there's a great harvest coming? that will be suddenly upon us, and we will be those who enjoy the secret place with Him alone. And our Bible is our strategic guide right here for the body of Christ. We run full speed ahead into all that God has for us. 
And so our Bibles are a must-read for us as all we as we advance the kingdom and shine bright the light of Jesus in our everyday lives. I'd also declare to you last week, just as a form of a little bit of a review here, in this new kingdom age, we will declare a thing and it will happen. And some of the things that we will see take place very shortly is an acceleration of increase and blessings in our lives. An acceleration. Big word. I'm going to be talking more about that next week. An acceleration of things. And you're going to have new seasons of suddenlies and unexpected things in God. And I said last week, I talked about being intentional to remember. Stay focused. Guard your heart. And number a big one was stay in your lane. Don't try to be somebody else. Stay in your lane because God is getting ready to release new depths of revelation from the Word of God. God is releasing heavenly wisdom and understanding coupled with counsel and might. And as I said last week, that's my short list. So there's even more coming more than that. But true wisdom, God is ready to pour out wisdom to His church, to His kids, to His sons and daughters so we know what's going on. But this wisdom is not esoteric intellectualism. It's not a theology, nor is it a philosophy, nor is it a Gnostic form of saving wisdom that rejects the work of the cross. Simply stated, wisdom is revelation in nature. It comes from the throne of God. And as you pray and as you cry out to God, He'll give you all the revelation and the wisdom you need if you're crying out to Him. Amen? And one of my daily prayers for everyone here is this. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father of all, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him in a deeper and complete way in truth. Amen? I mean, thank you for the selection of songs today, Luke, because I was going to ask you to do Graves in the Garden and, uh, and Defender, and I didn't have to ask you. So we were on the same wavelength, you know. So... And in, some, and in some, wisdom represents the mind of Christ and of God that is ever speaking about the heart of God. And love is the fulfillment of true wisdom. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Again, in the Passion Translation, for it says this, For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God as we are joined to Jesus, the Anointed One, and now He is our God-given our God -given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. So Christ Jesus has become our wisdom from God. Therefore, our pursuit of wisdom is tantamount to our pursuit of God Himself. And so how do we get wisdom? Real simple. Ask. Ask Him. Let's go to James chapter 1. James 1, New King James. James 1. James has a lot of good truth in it, that little book. James 1, verse 6. 1, 6. James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is, double, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So the asking element is not supposed to be a human work. It is just an admission of dependence on Him. How quickly we can easily turn everything that happens in our lives or around us 
in the self-effort. But James is putting the emphasis on God's ability to provide because faith is the key element here. Trust that God will enlighten you with wisdom even as you already possess the person of wisdom living within you. Paul himself constantly asked for wisdom, not merely for himself, but for everybody he came in contact with. And then in Colossians chapter 1, let's go there. I love the book of Colossians. I love every book in the Bible, actually. All 81,723 words and verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I would like to show you how God gave me spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's turn in our Bibles, in your New King James if you have it. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. What's interesting about this parable that I want to talk about is that whoever wrote this Bible, but whoever printed this Bible, whoever printed this Bible and put a title over the chapter that was not written by the Holy Spirit, titled this part of the Bible, The Parable of the Wise and Foolish Virgins. Okay? I have another spin on that based on the fact that we've now moved from a church age to a kingdom age. And so if we're going to think in the kingdom mindset, we have to think a little different than the church thinks. I did read somewhere that in another translation of the Bible it says the peril of the ten girls. I get you to think beyond just virgins. You're getting there? You're coming along? See this story in this in these verses. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, say delayed. How long has he been telling us he's coming again? Over 2,000 years. Guess what? We're still waiting. It's delayed. And a lot of people in the church who once knew Him cannot walk with Him anymore because He has delayed His coming. A lot of people fall away because they think that they have to... Sudden, you know, We live in a, a world today that wants everything yesterday. We we live in a world that you know has you know if you can't get a hot dog in your microwave faster than ten seconds they don't want to sit around and wait for it to be cooked, you know in boiling water or some other way. 
So we live in a world that you know, wants everything instant. And yet Jesus has promised us He's coming again. You know, and the Bible does say, Blessed he who is endures to the end for the same shall be saved. How many endure? Not, not a lot endure. A lot fall away. So I'm not saying that that happens to anybody you know, but I, I've seen a lot of people not uh, be able to cut the grade. Even when it says in uh, Hebrews 10:12, Forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is. But I, you know, read your Bible. It's not me. I'm not. I'm not a, a sheriff. But says it. But it says. But but while the bridegroom, who is the bridegroom? Jesus. Amen. Was delayed. What did they all do? It says they all. What did all ten virgins do? Slumbered and slept. Amen. That's what it says. But at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered like real good Christians. Huh? Huh? And what did they say? "Uh Uh-uh, you can't have none of mine. Why didn't they share? Why didn't they share? Lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I see some interesting things here about these five foolish girls who did not prepare for the bridegroom's coming because they did not buy oil beforehand for for their lamps. Five others, the Bible declares, that they were wise and they kept oil on hand for His appearance. But when the bridegroom suddenly, say suddenly, I mean, you know, when God does it suddenly in life, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't know it's coming. You don't know it's going to happen. But He does suddenly in a lot of our lives. Suddenly showed up and the foolish ones ran frantically to purchase oil. The five wise ones went straight to the feast and were received there. And those who had to run to purchase oil were not admitted to the feast. That's what it says here. But many today in our Christian world called the church, called the church view this parable improperly because they can't see it from a kingdom perspective. Now, I don't have a problem with Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I have a problem with the title. I have a problem with the call of the, the parable of what it's called. I have a problem with that based on the finished work of Christ and living in the New Covenant. I don't live in the Old Covenant. I live in the New Covenant. When I take communion, I declare that what I'm taking is a New Covenant. And for starters, they think it's for starters, number one, based on what is said here, it endorses paranoia. The fear that if I don't have enough oil, I'll be left behind. Thus, 
Tim LaHaye writes a series of books called The Left Behind. And we have Christians losing their salvation in their minds because a guy writes a book about Christians who are not prepared to go into the feast to fear that someone could miss out based on a whim of the moment that doesn't make God out to be good all the time. Because if you believe that concept of what I just said, God is not good all the time. But that's what it infers. That God is not good all the time. And on the other wrong view is that it is your job to keep your lamp filled, your job to keep your lamp filled with oil at all times. Neither of these is the point or the focus of the parable. Here are my, here are the two points. We have missed in this parable is that we should see in the light of the new covenant, which is a spirit covenant, a grace covenant, because Jesus said He was grace and truth. And for one, we shouldn't call this the parable of the foolish and the wise, but rather of the trusting virgins. They may have been wise, but their wisdom was not based on superior virtue. They had their own character flaws. What was one of the wise character flaws? We don't give you none of our oil. Go get your own. Go buy it. Leave us alone. That was a character flaw. And if the unprepared ones were simply lazy, we can make an equal argument that the prepared ones were selfish and snappy. And they refused to share their oil with the unprepared virgins. Not Christ-like, I would say. Not Christ-like, right? In other words, they didn't have oil just because they were better people, nor did they have a higher moral standard. It was not based on preparedness alone that Christ received some and didn't admit others. Ultimately, all of them had been invited beforehand to the feast. All virgins were invited. But the five wise virgins were the only ones that trusted the invitation. They believed the invitation was valid and therefore they got ready for it. Getting oil is not hard work. Even the foolish ones or the untrusting ones got it in one night. Therefore, the effort put forth on behalf of the wise trusted ones to get oil was not their virtue. See, our efforts don't Fill us with the oil of the Spirit. It's a gift from the giver. Amen? So trusting virgins actually believed in the promise and were therefore prepared because they believed. John 6, 29. The disciples asked Jesus, what is the greatest thing that I could do? And He said, the greatest thing you could do is believe. Have faith. Trust me. And I'm taking care of everything for you. There's no effort needed on your part but to believe. The trusting virgins actually believed in the promise and therefore were prepared. The real issue at hand was not preparation, but faith. Having the faith to believe. The trusting virgin saw beyond the apparent delay. 
Didn't he say I, that he's delayed? I mean, oh, in God's kingdom, delay is not denial. It just means not yet. Stay prepared. Stay ready. I'm coming. It'll be a suddenly. You won't expect it. You won't even know when it's coming. And instead of just living as if His presence was a future reality, they trusted the invitation and lived as if He was already there. And you and I, sons and daughters of God, have Christ living in us so we can live with the fact that He has already come because He lives within us. And we have necessary oil, oil of the Spirit. It's within us. And it's as easy as keeping an extra bottle of oil on the shelf just because the bridegroom was taking a little longer than expected did not cause them to waver in their trust. They believed the good news that He was coming, so they kept oil on hand. Amen? Kept oil on hand. Faith was their virtue. Faith provided their wisdom. And here's my second point to this parable before we can move on in the form of a question. Who is to say that the foolish versions would have been turned away from the feast if they simply lacked oil? The frantic rush to purchase their own oil showed the basic root of the problem for the foolish virgins. A propensity so toward a self-effort instead of a simple trust. It's so easy for us in this world that we live in to get stuck in effort things when knowing Christ is an effortless thing. Our union with Christ is effortless. I don't come to church because I, if I don't go to church, I think I'm going to go you know, in a bad place. I come to church to thank God for what I already have and who I already am of Christ living inside of me. I can't praise Him enough. I can't thank Him enough. If we did this seven days a week, I'd be here. And they immediately, they immediately ran to the world's these foolish versions ran to the world's training floor instead of running into the marriage feast. Even if they were short of oil, if they would have ran in, God would have never turned them away. Never. They would never. He would have never turned them away. Not even one time. Not even for a moment. Let's go to Revelation 3.18. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV. If you are wise... You will get from me gold tested by fire so that you may have true wealth and white robes to put on so that your shame may not be seen and oil for your eyes so that you may see. Isaiah 55, 1, New King James. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy without money and without cost. See, our union with Christ was instant and effortless. You trusted the invitation and now a limitless supply of inexhaustible oil runs through you. A sevenfold river because we trusted. 
When Jesus says, come, buy. You don't have no money? Don't, don't matter. Just come. Get it. Come and get it. It's free. And the oil runs, a sevenfold river of life. Please don't think that the point of the parable was about purchasing your own oil because then you'll fall into a trap like Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts. He thought he could buy the power of God. Can't buy it. It's a gift. It's free. You're just not activating it by faith. You got it all. You're full to the top. It's prango. It's all in there. You're full of it. All of it. All of the glory. All of the power. It's all there inside. Simon the sorcerer was a great example of being bewitched by religion that says you must earn it for earn an anointing. You don't earn it. Some preachers will tell you that the anointing is expensive, and that's right in a, in a way because it's far more worth your life that you could purchase because it cost, it cost Christ His life. The bridegroom says, the moral of the story is this. Stay awake. Stay awake. Why do you think He tells you to stay awake? Because it's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to revert back to self-effort. It's easy to go back to the old ways, to Egypt. After Moses delivered all of Israel and they were heading towards the Red Sea, what did Israel want to do? They wanted to go back to the leeks, to the familiar. Everything in the kingdom is different, change all the time. Suddenlies all the time, unusual things all the time, adventure all the time. And there's nothing there that you can make sense of except God Himself. That's the only thing you can grab onto is His way. And say, Lord, I trust You with all my heart. I don't lean upon my own understanding. In all my ways, I acknowledge You. And You give me the desires of my heart. Amen? And what does that mean? It doesn't mean to never rest. Not only would that validate His nature as our Sabbath rest. You want to know who my Sabbath rest is? It's Jesus. You want to know who my feasts are? It's Jesus. He's my feast. He's every feast. He fulfilled them all. And I know Christians today who are so hard on themselves, they actually suffer sleep deprivation. I can't even say that word. Depravation. Well, I say it again. Deprivation. There it is. Because they misunderstand this parable. All ten virgins fell asleep. That wasn't the problem. Christ is looking for a people that are awake to His kingdom age to the remembrance of His sacrifice. See, I don't look for my effort. I keep reminding myself what He did. All that He has done. So awake to the reality that He is already here. Even if you don't see Him yet. He's still here. Does that mean He's not coming? No, He's coming. He's coming. But it's not either or. It's both and. It's Him in you plus His coming. It's both and. In the kingdom, it's both and. It's not either or. I used to, I used to love going to the Old Covenant to see things and look for Jesus. And when I would look at the almond tree in the temple, God says that's the almond tree of awakening. 
it's melded within the lampstand. And let us ever be reminded and trust in this invitation because it tells us that we are complete in wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Christ the King started His church and He will finish it. He has infused His kingdom people with His Spirit without measure. How can we believe unless we have heard we are commissioned or ordained with this inexhaustible oil of grace to preach the good news? Well, I was at a place yesterday. I don't even want to tell you where I was at. I was just sitting there. And some guy asked me a question in a room of 20, mostly men, two girls. And they, I said to him, I started preaching. Good news. He kept telling, saying bad things. And I said, he said, when I told him, he said, because he asked everybody in the room who they were, and I said I was a pastor. He said, well, I might offend you, pastor, because I say some nasty words when I, when I teach. I said, you can't offend me, sir. I can't get offended because I understand the finished work of the cross. I understand that you're already forgiven, but you just don't know it. You just don't know that you're already forgiven. You were sent here by God. Every one of you were sent here by God. In fact, if you listen to that Johnny Enlow video that I told you to listen to before, he will tell you that you volunteered to come. You just can't remember that you were a part of God and he asked who wants to go and represent me as ambassadors on the earth and you volunteered. That's why you're here. And if you're thinking something different, you're confused. The Bible will tell you the truth. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when you die, your spirit goes back to God who sent it. You volunteered. So we are commissioned and ordained with an inexhaustible oil of grace to preach the good news. And if you're feeling insignificant, powerless or facing insurmountable odds in this life, I would encourage you not to despise the day of small beginnings and start seeing yourself as a son or a daughter of God. Filled with Jesus, filled with unmeasurable power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If you think you need me to raise the dead, you're mistaken. You can raise the dead. You can cast out demons. You can heal the sick. You can preach the good news. Each one of us is fully equipped and ready to go. God's just waiting, waiting for you to go take them steps out there and do it. And do it. Believe who you are. But be rest assured that Christ has invested the full worth and weight of His glory in you. It's all there. you got it all. And these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in your hand. We are His triumphant, unstoppable church living in this new kingdom age. Amen. Triumphant church. We are literally carrying a tangible, transferable anointing resident within us that we can tear down and uproot nations. Even America. Even America, Christ in us, can overthrow principalities and heal the sick with our shadow. 
Power and might and wisdom and knowledge emanate from within us untold treasure in our earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The God showed me the seven wells. You were talking about singing about wells on the deep river today. Uh, Luke, in that one song, the first song, what was the name of the first song? Deep Cries Out. And we're talking about wells. I was saying, this guy's reading my, my, my notes. No, it wasn't him. It was the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit told him what to sing. And when we open out our Bibles and read in Genesis that Isaac was called the son of laughter, and he reopened the wells dug by his father Abraham, he also dug new ones. He opened a total of seven wells. Christ's Son was, has opened. Christ the Son has opened to us the sevenfold day spring of the Father to us. I, I don't know if you know anything about God, but God loved the number seven. Don't run out of here and play it in the lottery, though. Think you're going to win because you use seven. Don't do it. Not unless the Holy Spirit tells you to. Don't do anything He don't tell you to do because I'm not going to tell you. If you play the number seven and you don't win, you might say, well, it might, might, must not be God's favorite. Don't do that. Okay? One of Abraham's most significant wells was Beersheba, which means well of sevens. The word Beersheba means well of sevens. And alternatively, it means the well of the oath or the well of promise. How many know how many promises are in this Bible for you? Seven th- over 7,700 promises for us. Each one of us has seven over 7,700 promises. You can find that in Genesis 21, 26 through 31. But then we can read. Let's, let's go there to Genesis. I haven't been there for a while. At least an hour since I read this earlier. 21, Genesis 21. It's right after 20, right before, before 22. I tell you what page it was on on the right Bible, but I know you don't like that. So it's Genesis 21, verse 26. And Bill said, That's my translation. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard it, heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Bill. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven Ewe. That's why this is one reason I don't put myself on Facebook Live. Because I can't have fun if I'm in a camera and people are looking at me and judging every word I say. I don't like it. I like to have fun when I preach. I know it's you, but I like to pronounce it as it looks. E W E E We. E We. That's all of ease with we, okay? Seven ewe lambs. 
of the flock by themselves. Then Bill asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven lambs which you have set by... It's little baby young lambs if you want to know, okay? I did the research. Which you have set by themselves. And he said, you will take these seven you lambs from my hand that they may be my witnesses, my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there. The well of sevens. Abraham gave seven lambs as a witness to a well. The seven lambs were the substance of the covenant. It was a sevenfold lamb of the covenant that kept the wells open for Abraham. The entire story is a shadow of the fullness of Christ sealing a covenant and opening the fullness of His seven wells of grace to us. The promise of the Father. Jesus is all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, folks. He's the one that created us. He's the one that created us. The promise of the Father was opened by the Son, Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Additionally, the word Sheba from Beersheba is closely related to the number of Hebrew root words that mean fullness, abundance, satisfaction, overabundance, say overabundance, a state of completeness or being overstuffed. How many love an overstuffed turkey? See, that's what we are overstuffed, actually. <laughs> In Christ, we are overstuffed. See, on the cross, Jesus sealed a new covenant that you and I would be continually and abundantly satisfied with His overflowing presence. I mean, there's times when I'm not here, but I'm in worship or I'm in, I'm in prayer or I'm studying, and my, live, my, my little room that I study in at home, it's overstuffed with angels. I says, can any of you more, any more of you angels squeeze in here? I said, pretty soon I'm going to be squeezed out. I mean, I could feel them pressing in. And so could you. If you allow your mind to go there. And the Spirit of God. In fact, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, a symbol of the cross later in Isaac's day. The son also made a peace treaty with Bill, followed by a great feast of eating and drinking. And this represented a second and future covenant, a covenant not of fasting. Listen, listen to me. The covenant you're in, the new covenant, it's not a covenant of fasting. It's a covenant of feasting. Because Jesus said on the cross in John 19.30, it is finished. It's time to party. It's time to celebrate. The goodness of God. It's time to dance. I love when my wife, she's, Today, Luke was doing, oh, how he loves me, and she started doing her little jig, her little, her little two-step jig. And, she's, and I'm standing there and going, oh, babe, I love it. I love when you dance. Like, I wish I could do that. I don't know how. I wish I could. She does it so beautifully. It's like, it's elegant. If I did it, it would be ugly. That's why I don't sing. <laughs> the finished work of the cross has now opened an abundant, overflowing, Manifold well of satisfaction for us and to us. 
and now we now have a continual feast of the sevenfold overflow of grace that we find in Jesus. And not only seven wells or seven things of grace, but we have seven words. A sevenfold offering was common in covenantal affairs. In 2 Samuel 21, it was required to atone for a broken covenant with seven victims. The Levites were to offer seven types of sacrifices, oxen, sheep, goats, pigeons, wheat, oil, and wine. And Leviticus 4, 6, and the blood had to be sprinkled seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain that Christ would one day come and rend. And how did He rend it? Top to bottom. You don't rend that... You know how much that, you know how much that curtain weighed? 35 tons. And after he did that, you know what the Jews, the religious Jews did as fast as they can? Ran it and sew it back up. Because they didn't realize that God was there. They couldn't even recognize Him. That He had come. Free and open access. Here I am, guys. Keep the curtain down. Keep the veil away. And they did. What did they do? Put it back up. And likewise, the tabernacle itself carried seven chief utensils. And we see the significance of the number seven. The number seven appears in the cases where the idea of satisfaction is required as in reference to punishment for wrongs or to be forgiven fully. As our Savior was on the cross with a few, ble- few breaths left to utter, Jesus gave us seven words as He hung on the cross. No particular order. The last seven things of Christ as He hung and died on the cross. First word He gave us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Second word, today, He said, you will be with Me in paradise. Third word, woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. Fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fifth word, you know, I, I, on that fourth word, I could go on forever. It's totally misunderstood by the church. Because they interpret it with human natural mind rather than the Spirit of God. Fifth word, I thirst. Sixth word, it is finished. Seventh word, Father, into your hands, I. They didn't kill Jesus. He gave it up. I commend my spirit. And in each of these words, we see an incredible ongoing meaning such as forgiveness, completion, reconciliation, restoration to our heavenly home. And we see Jesus' divinity and humanity, and we see a provision of perfect sacrifice and perfect love embodied in Christ. And these progressive steps by which these words unfold show us the unfolding of the will of God for the redemption of all mankind, both now and forever. Jesus poured out the fullness of Himself to each of us, and as a kingdom-age people who long and walk and operate in the full giftings of the God Spirit, let us never forget that Jesus is our source and our focus that is coupled with His power and presence. Amen. And these giftings flow freely from Him. You don't have to beg. Don't beg God for anything. Just ask. Simply ask in faith. 
Whatever you ask, He'll give it to you. If you ask Him for the Holy Spirit, He's not going to give you a stone or a serpent. He'll give you what you ask for. I'm going to tell you what the problem with the church is today. They don't ask. We don't ask enough. Don't beg. You don't have to beg. Because Jesus said that He was the Alpha and the Omega, our starting point and our finishing mark. And all we need to do will flow generously from Him if we'll just ask. If we'll just believe. It's the greatest thing we can do. And in the kingdom age, we will know that the anointing that we carry is not something we work up, but rather a means of a gift of God's grace. Freely given. Freely you have received. Freely give. And our striving to be fulfilled with the Spirit has been the very thing that has been has isolated us from it. Let Christ again be declared the only fountainhead of grace and the triumphal boast of His church. We will boast in no efforts but His. He is the giver and the gift. I like the worship team of God. Speaking of Christ, for from Him... And through Him and to Him all things. And let us constantly remember. Be intentional about remembrance. Let us constantly remember that it is the love of Christ that enables us, that we sang about so much this morning, about the love of Christ, the Defender who loves us. The Defender who loves us. When we were lost, He came and found us and put us back together. It's a great song by... Our friends, that the love of Christ that enables us to, the love of Christ that enables us to understand Him, to be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm done. I could go on, but I'm going to quit here.
body which is broken for you. Do this how? What do you say? Do this in what? Remembrance. Intentional remembering. And if you lack anything or if you need anything, you need wisdom, you need finances, you need healing, you need anything, what do you do? Ask. Ask in faith. Believe. Let's take it together. And then after supper, 
that supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant, new covenant, spirit covenant, everlasting covenant. There'll never be another covenant. In my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Let's proclaim. Let's come again. He's not leaving anybody behind. Nobody's going to get left behind. Not one. Do you have any of those uh, books by Mr. Tim? Put them in the trash because they're not real. He's not leaving nobody behind. He's not refusing anybody who wants to come in either. Because you're already His. He sent you here. You're His. You've been sent. In fact, you volunteered. (laughs) You'll have to take it up with Him when you get there. (laughs) Have a great week.
Joseph. Joseph, yes, we know he was put into a pit, betrayed. But God had great purpose. A type of Christ. Where God chose him to prepare the grain. Because he knew the world would need grain. And that grain is the bread of life. He's preparing us to bring forth that bread to all the people with the oil of gladness He reminded me of the oil had to be crushed. Those olives had to be crushed. That grain had to be crushed. The wine had to be crushed. But it brought forth life. I thank you, Lord, for the bread of life. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, that you are King of all kings, Lord of the nation. You have us in the palm of your hand. Lord, let us remember the oil of gladness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for that fresh oil that never runs out. Lord, awaken. I say awaken your bride as Esther who didn't fear feel fearful to come before the king. She came to him in love knowing that he would never ever reject her. because of the beauty that was within her was your spirit that eunuch who prepared us knew everything we needed to have clothed in and you gave it to her lord we worship you today as king of all kings Brian, i have a word for you this morning it's been coming in and out all through the morning it's get ready God has an assignment a big assignment for you stay in the word don't worry about how it comes out I will give you the word and I will speak be ready be ready I have an assignment thank you Father We thank you, Lord. We go in peace. We stay in the position of seated in heavenly places, living above the line in the heavenly realm. Lord, you said you would lead every step of the way, and we will follow you, Holy Spirit. We will be led by your Spirit. 
thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We give you praise, Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you made access to us to know our Father and who he is just by knowing you. We thank you, Lord, that we have access now because of what you've done. And we give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you, Jesus, for that blessed covenant that you have made with the Father for us. And we will remember. We will remember. Lord, as we put bread on our table, oil and wine, Lord, we will always remember the covenant, the new covenant by your blood. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen.